This morning I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. I'll be preaching to you on verses 8 and 9. I want to talk to you about how Noah found grace. It's a lot of truth here for us of what Noah was like. I would remind you that uh, out of the whole antediluvian world, the world before the flood, that uh, Noah was the only man that God saved along with his family out of that whole world. What must it have been like to to build the ark? Uh, what must it have been like to uh, be alone in your devotion to God? Uh, what must it have been like to be in a very small company of believers? But Noah knew all of that. The reality was something that I want us to be able to look at closely and to study over the next weeks so that we too might be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for this passage and uh, thank you for the truth of your word concerning Noah's life. Uh, Thank you for his steadfastness of faith, uh, his fear of you, his love of you, his service to you, the great display of, uh, of his faith in the building of the ark. And uh, then uh, the things that he did even after he was on dry land once again. In coming weeks we will study all of these things. But we pray that today that you will help us to understand what it means to be perfect before you. For we pray and we ask it in your dear name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to begin reading in Genesis 6, verse 1, and uh, I will read to verse 14. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Well, the words, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord are a sharp contrast to what we find in verse 7 when God says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And what I would like to show you is that there's always a sharp contrast between God's dealings with the wicked and his dealings with the righteous. The difference is all as a result of grace. We should each of us ask ourselves the question this morning, have I found grace in the sight of the Lord? Or am I still a sinner who is seen by God as corrupt? Well, it's my prayer that all who are listening to me this morning will find grace. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to examine in greater depth what it means here when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we want to understand this phrase better. For in doing so, I believe it will help us to understand how to live the Christian life, the life that you and I are called to in the gospel. It will help us to better understand how we should live in the presence of a possibly increasingly unbelieving world, even as Noah did. I believe that we should understand Noah's finding grace in the following three ways. First of all, Noah found grace because of the Lord's purpose in salvation. We find that it says in verse 11 that all the people in the world besides Noah and his immediate family are described as corrupt. And they're described as having corrupted their way upon the earth. Sin and corruption is found, we should understand, in all the faculties of our being by nature. That's how we come forth from the womb And that's how we remain as corrupt in all the faculties of our being until and unless the Lord shows us grace. And depravity, that's what we're talking about here, has been found in every man or woman who has ever lived in every generation because of Adam's sin in the beginning. And the only exception to this is Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet we find here that Noah is described in verse 9 as a just man, perfect in his generations. I believe that this description of Noah as perfect in his generations must be understood in light of this statement of verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does it mean to find grace? It means that God's purpose from the beginning of the world was to save some people out of all the people that he has created. In the council of redemption, that infinitely great council with the, which the divine trinity took before the beginning of the world, their purpose in that council they knew was to save some people 
out of all the people who God has created. The Divine Trinity was saying to themselves, let us make man according to our image and likeness. And being infinitely wise and all-knowing and, and realizing that they were going to create Adam and Eve according to their own image and likeness, they gave man, the three persons of the Divine Trinity, one good commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, even then, you should understand, knew that Adam and Eve would fail the test because of Satan's temptations to Eve. And so they planned for this contingency from before the foundation of the world. According to the joint purpose of the triune God, they chose to save some out of all mankind. But that number, you should understand, would be a number which no man could number from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And the triune God also knew that Adam and Eve, having fallen into sin and passed their sinful nature on to all the descendants, that every descendant of Adam would confirm their being a sinner by rejecting God's expectation of them that they would keep his commandments. They would even overlook, that is, fallen sinful mankind would even overlook the offers of mercy that were made to them unless and except they were given grace. And so the promise was made in Genesis 3.15 of a seed who would crush the head of the serpent Satan and bring deliverance to fallen sinners of mankind whom God would be pleased to have mercy upon. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 19, the, uh, the Lord says to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And he says there, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that's the way that it has been with God and is showing grace throughout all generations since Adam. In these days of the antediluvian world that we're talking about, since the whole world had become corrupt, God would do something very great through this one man, Noah, and his family. He would save Noah, and he would make him the one prime example of gospel perfection from all the people of the world in that day. Can you imagine? I do not know how many people there were that lived in the world of that day, but it must have been countless thousands, perhaps millions even, of people. And all the rest of humanity in that old world, God said he was going to drown in a flood. But what God would do for Noah was that he would allow him to find grace, it says here. So grace is something which we do not find on our own, independently of God, but God lets us find grace in his sight. 
We do not earn grace or deserve to receive favor because we are basically good people. All of us are sinners by nature and practice. But God found a way, I'm trying to show you here at this time, through his making a covenant within himself, an eternal covenant between the Father and the Son, that the Son would be sent into the world to redeem a people for God's own possession. In other words, he would give purposed grace to Noah. And as we shall see in further sermons, God would also make a covenant then based upon his covenant of eternal purpose with Noah himself. So God's covenant with Noah was that he would build an ark and that Noah would enter into that ark as it says in verses 18 and 19, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you and of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring with you into the ark. So this was a covenant of grace which God made with Noah and it led to grace being seen at work in him in a perfect way. Therefore, this is not sinless perfection that we read about in Noah when it says that he was perfect. But rather, it's Noah's entering into all that God had first shown to him and all that he had first given to him. It was grace that was prepared for him and it was given to him that led to his knowing God and walking with God in truth and righteousness. It's the same way with you and I. When we find grace in the eyes of the Lord, it's grace that brings salvation. It's uh, all of God. It's all of his perfect way to bring sinners into a better state. That is to make sinners into saints. Noah was a perfect man, it says here, but he was still only a sinner, saved by grace. Here in these words, Noah was perfect in his generations, it says. And we find here what theologians and others call an antinomy. We have two truths that apparently contradict each other, but both are true. It was true that Noah was a sinner, and yet he was seen as perfect by God. He was brought to be a man of integrity, moral integrity in his lifetime, by that grace that he was shown. And he was made into a blameless man by grace. As the margins of our Bibles tell us that the word which is translated perfect can be understood. Noah was a man who was just, it says in verse 9. He was right with God, uh, right in his relationship to God. He was living a righteous life. And as we shall see uh, in points 2 and 3 here this morning, Noah was just because he was justified by faith in God. Justification by faith alone 
is a doctrine that was just as true for Noah's day as it is for us who live in New Testament times. Noah had a faith that was a saving faith. Saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And at the time that the Word is heard, the Spirit of God gives the sinner who is being saved the spiritual ability to act upon what is being understood by them. What's being received by them concerning Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Father in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to effectually call sinners into fellowship with the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we learn in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where it says, But we are bound to give thanks for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit who strives with the sinner, who brings that person to a true view of themselves as being a sinner. It's the Holy Spirit who then regenerates the heart of the person who is listening to the word being preached and spoken to them so that faith then becomes an active, reliable principle in their heart. They didn't really understand faith before. They thought, oh, I believe in Jesus, sort of casually. But now they understood something about the power of God that it takes the power of God to create faith in the fallen sinner's heart in conjunction with the truth of the word of God. And this results in justification. The sinner's first act upon hearing the word of God and having their heart opened to the truth is to believe in the gospel, just like Lydia did in Acts 16. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things which were spoken to her by Paul. So Noah did not know any of this blessed truth that I'm trying to talk to you about here this morning that's laid out for us in the New Testament, but he believed in the promise of Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This promise would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, and Noah believed in this promise, and he was justified, although he did not know how long it would be until the seed would come, or what his name would be, he did know the reality of the Lord speaking to him. He knew the reality of what his heart would be like if he didn't act upon what God had said to him. And so this faith God had created in his heart, I'm saying, and saving faith is a grace. 
of God. It's not a person simply believing the propositional truth of the gospel on their own, apart from God's working in their heart. Which is why, by the way, so many people can casually take up a profession of faith, believe in the Lord Jesus, and think that they are saved, but they are not. And the reason is, is because the power of God to open their eyes to the truth about their sinnership and the truth of what Christ alone has done for them and can do for them by grace has never come to their heart and mind with any power. And thus, they continue on for a time, but then they leave the faith at some time in the future as the parable of the sower and the soils talks about with three of the listeners. So we need to understand some things about uh, these truths that, that we're talking about here this morning. That grace, this grace to Old Testament saints was found by them. And it was applied to them preveniently. Have you ever heard that word before? It's an old-fashioned word used by a lot of the Puritans. It means that Old Testament people who believed in God's promises were given grace in anticipation of the work which Christ would most certainly accomplish later when he came. They received it before Christ ever walked upon the earth, but they received it based on the eternal covenant of grace between the Father and the Son. And this is how Noah found grace and how faith was created in him to be seen by God and men so that he would become the man described here as being perfect in his generations. Now second, Noah is called perfect in his generations because he cultivated by faith a relationship of obedience in his heart and mind to God. No man is truly perfect by nature or perfect in his obedience except Jesus Christ. We are called to be perfect even as our Heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5.48, but not one of us can do anything in a perfect way without the grace of Christ. We are complete in him and we are perfect in him. But when we find grace in the eyes of the Lord, we learn obedience. We begin to make progress as people of integrity by means of humble faith. James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So when a person has saving faith and they are wise, they will humble themselves to receive all of God's words, both with regard as to how they will be saved and justified and also how they'll be sanctified. So if you'll turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says here, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark, for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir 
of the righteousness which is according to faith. So you can see here that since faith was established as a living and abiding principle in the soul of Noah, that he began to exercise himself in seeking how he could know the Lord better. And he exercised himself towards godliness. He did this in the building of the ark, by the way, which is really quite an amazing thing. Faith receives and it heeds the warnings of God as well as the promises. Do you do that? Do you receive the the warnings of God as well as the promises? I know we love the promises and we love to receive them. But will you receive the warnings as well as the promises? Faith receives the negative promises of God as well as the positive ones which encourage them and strengthen them. John Owen says, Faith produces various effects in the minds of believers according to the variety of objects that it is fixed on. Sometimes joy and confidence, sometimes fear and reverence. So you can see, can't you, what Owen is saying? Saving faith receives whatever God has for it in the way of the truth of his word. It doesn't matter if it is truth in the past or whether it is truth in the present or whether it is truth in the future. It does not matter if it is of things seen or unseen. It will receive it because it is God's word. It says here that Noah, having been divinely warned, was moved with godly Fear. So Noah could have been moved by a carnal fear to prepare an ark simply to save his own life, but that's not what it says here. He thought about the majesty and greatness of God, and he thought of the holiness and the justice of God, and he thought deeply about the offended honor of God in light of all the glory and beauty and goodness of God which had been shown to men. And he realized what the wickedness of the people of his generation deserved. It was to be destroyed in a judgment of almost unimaginable proportions. He thought of how easily that he himself could have fallen into the same ensnaring sins were it not for the grace of God to him. Do you say that, dear Christian, there but by the grace of God go I? Well, that's really a true statement because it's the grace of God that not only saves us, but it also keeps us by the mighty power of Christ exerted towards us. So Noah was convinced by the Spirit of God working in his heart and mind in this holy form of reasoning to consider and to believe that God would indeed destroy the world with a flood, even as he had said. So let me ask you this morning whether you know anything of this godly fear in the way that you look at obedience to God your obedience to God. Noah was moved by it to act. Do you see that here? 
But it was his faith in God's word that produced in him this godly fear. A person will never fear in a godly way, in the godly way that they should, unless they believe his word. Fearing God is always linked with believing God's holy word. If you look uh, back at uh, Hebrews 11.6, perhaps you're still there. You'll read that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But Noah, I want you to see, also believed the converse was true, that God was a punisher of those who do not diligently seek him. He is a punisher of those who despise and forget him days without number. Noah did not say to himself, God has never done such a thing before. He has never shown his displeasure towards men's sins in such a dramatic way before. Surely he will not do so now. No, he reckoned that God was faithful in his justice, just as much as in the salvation of his people. He believed that if God said it, if God said that it would happen, then it was going to happen. And you and I, we should pray. We should pray more and more that people will believe that God does tremendous things in justice and judgment that he will always do what he threatens to do to unbelievers and to wicked men if they will not repent. Here we see Noah having this godly fear, prepared an ark, and his, his faith led to godly fear, and his godly fear we see here moved him to action. So you can tell whether your faith is a true faith or not by whether you will act upon what has been told you by God even when other people around you are not doing so. That's a very important point for us to receive. Do you do what God is telling you to do even if people around you don't? And we're increasingly living in a time where people aren't doing God's will around us. Will you continue to do the will of God as the days grow more evil or worse in our particular generation? It's so easy to rationalize away the clear statements of the Word of God in order to have a convenient Christianity or to live an easier life. But true faith does believe in the coming judgment of God. True faith does believe that the wicked will be overthrown and cast down to hell forever if they do not repent and believe in the gospel. But unbelief does not want to see these things. And they will not see God's judgment coming 
without grace being shown to them or until it is too late. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39, it says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Noah was a perfect man because by faith he was moved with godly fear to prepare an ark for the saving of his household. Let me ask you if your household... Uh, that is, your wife, uh, your children, seeing you, someone who is building by your words and deeds a Christian life that they can enter into. Does your life preach a gospel of Jesus Christ so that your children and your friends and loved ones might be saved by it? And this leads me to my last point, that Noah was called perfect because he did according to all that God commanded him. He received grace to this, as we've been seeing. But verse 14 of Genesis chapter 6, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch is the commandment that was given to Noah in verse 14. So we see here that not only did Noah obey God in the general instructions to make an ark, but he went on to obey God's particular instructions as to how it was to be made. Noah built the ark according to the exact dimensions of what the Lord specified, that is its decks, its door, its window, And God had good reasons for everything that he commanded Noah here. And he, in a similar way, expects us to obey the specifics of his commands in the New Testament scriptures. A man who would be perfect will do all that God commands, do according to all that God commands. We find this same principle of truth stated for us in the New Testament in the Great Commission, where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. So God will through Christ will always, Christ will always be with us, uh, whether it's us individually or us as a church. Our responsibility is to love God and to keep his commandments in all of their specifics. So the ark itself is a type of Jesus Christ, and those who entered into it were saved from the divine wrath of the rain that came down for 40 days and nights and flooded the entire world so that every single living thing died except for the things that were and the people and the animals and the birds that were on 
the ark. So in coming messages, we're going to see that the building of the ark is a picture of the building of the New Testament church by faithful workers. The ark was meant to preserve the lives of all those chosen by God in that time period. Noah and his family would not perish in the flood because they had followed the Lord's instructions. And even so, we will be saved, all of us, if we believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the faith of Noah. We thank you for the grace which was given to him, not only to believe in you savingly, but to exercise godly fear and to build an ark according to the exact dimensions that you had instructed him to build it. We pray that you would help us, Father, to live our lives in accordance with the gospel, the Great Commission, and all of the scriptures. May we take heed to your word, not only the promises, but the warnings. And may we, uh, if we, where we need to, let us repent. But Lord, at all times, may we believe, no matter what we see taking place around us, in terms of apostasy from the faith or growing unbelief. We pray that you will help us to be faithful to you in this generation, for we pray and ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.